Hello everyone, welcome back to my product chat series. Today our product chat guest is Ian, a director of product management at Zenfoot and ex-product manager at Amazon. Our main goal is to understand the product management journey at Zenfoot and his advice as to how others can transition into the field. Hello, it's so nice to have you. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. I've been excited. Looking forward to this. It's going to be a good time. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for giving me the time today to just walk over the journey. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So uh, before we go into the topic, uh, let me ask you this. Why did you go for product management? Yeah. Uh, well, gosh, it, it's a bit of a story, but um, you know, I essentially got started in the tech industry just over a decade or so ago. And when I got my start, actually, I had worked um, at Apple. And when I first kind of started in that world, it was just retail sales at an Apple store in Tacoma, Washington. <laughs> uh, so that was kind of the the start to all of this. But, um, you know, fast forward and I ended up moving directly into product management um, as a result of several years of doing kind of a hybrid role. Uh, so my time at, uh, at Amazon was spent working at Prime Video for, for about five years. Um, and most of that time I held the title of program manager, but my job was a mix of people management, program management, and product management. So okay. some of the key functions, which I'm sure we can get into some of the differences, but um, I kind of did a little of each, right? Split my time between those three primary functions and uh, essentially came to that five-year mark with Amazon and was like, I have an option or a set of options, right? I can either kind of go all in, stick down this road of like project program management or take the opportunity to, you know, step back from a bigger company and go, you know, try products fully, right? Um, so it, as part of that too, I kind of take took an intentional decision to move out of a people management role and back into an individual contributor or IC role. Um, really, the goal was to focus on the craft, right? I wanted to just be able to solely go in, become the best product manager I could possibly be. And in order to do that, I had to shed a few things and um, decided I wanted to learn it across a couple of companies versus just the Amazon way, which is it's own beast. <laughs> Makes sense. So you did like program management and then you moved to product. Any specific reason on that? Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. So in many ways, especially at smaller companies, um, a lot of product managers tend to be full life cycle. So what that really means, right, is they're building products from, you know, some inception point. Sometimes that's zero to one, meaning like it's a brand new net new product. Sometimes it's iterating on something pre-existing, right? Excuse me. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> but essentially um, within that world, right? Full life cycle means when you're building products, there's an aspect of project management, right? Um, and so you end up leveraging many of the same skills in terms of getting something out the door, right? So if you're building a new product or feature, you have to manage all the work streams and the steps required to get it out the door, right? You know, um, and some of the startups I've worked at, you know, typically somewhere around 130 people, you know, maybe a team of three to five product managers total, and they sit across the company. So you, you have a much bigger sphere of influence and you own much more of the process, right? A place like Amazon, you own a piece of that. So if you're a product manager, you have technical program managers or TPMs, also project and program managers who often support execution. So they're often doing a lot more of the coordination kind of the execution and sort of keeping things uh, afloat, if you will. Um, and product plays more of the strategic kind of, here's what we're going to build. Here's the problem we're solving by building that thing. And here's how we're going to roll it out. And then they hand it off to somebody to help execute. So I wanted to kind of do the full life cycle. Uh, and then specifically why I like product, right, is um, 
it's you're you are the person who is not only getting the feature or the capability out the door but you're also identifying the problems to be solved and at the end of the day product management you are a professional problem solver um and you absolutely solve problems in program project management as well they just look a little different right and you're solving uh you know maybe not the customer pain point but you're solving internal problems to enable solving that customer's pain point not always but that's just a general um, so I really like being at the intersection of all the pieces of the business in real product in like full product management, you work with everybody. I work with marketing, engineering, design. I work with sales. I work with, you know, really everybody across the company in some way, shape or form program project management. You do that as well, but again, capacity is different, right? Yes. I think it's very different. I think. Um, yeah. So what's in a day in a life of a product manager? Gosh. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it really depends. Um, so my role as a director, it looks very different than when I was, you know, even a senior PM. Um, but day to day it changes, right? Um, uh, I do a lot less tactical work these days. Um, you know, I'm I'm less kind of in the weeds, right? So uh, I'm I'm not always the one writing a PRD product requirements document, um, right? I'm often, you know, working with, with a set of teams, providing feedback, giving some context, helping unblock. But often there's a PM or a senior PM on my team who's who's actually doing more of the tactical, writing the PRDs, generating the user stories, um, you know, figuring out sequencing, you know, really the boots on the ground stuff. So it, it's really changed. Um, for me, uh, I had a lot of meetings, especially now. <laughs> uh, your meeting load tends to increase as you kind of, um, I guess, climb the ranks. So I, I think I spent a fair amount of time in meetings. Um, but that being said, you know, uh, when I'm not in a meeting or, or driving, you know, something big picture, uh, I'm often doing, you know, strategic work. So sometimes that's roadmap planning. Uh, sometimes that's, you know, figuring out what do we actually need to go tackle? What's our bigger vision, right? So that's that's a whole new kind of world, um, a more elevated level. But, you know, back in, you know, when I was like true kind of PM, senior PM, that kind of thing, um, you know, day in the life, you know, you're Kind of a mix of things you're hopefully talking to customers you know in some regular cadence you're meeting with stakeholders internally uh you are writing documentation so prds um depending place like amazon right they have full full-blown narratives six six pagers you may have heard <laughs> uh so that's kind of the extreme end um and then you've got some of these smaller startups that i've worked with um where you know we do like a prd or like a lightweight kind of version of that there's a lot of writing um and then it's a lot of measurement, right? So anytime you launch something, you always make sure you're, you have your measures of success kind of laid out before you launch said product or feature. But the important piece is then closing the loop once it has been launched, right? So, you know, I, I expect the PMs of my team to be continually keeping a pulse on the health of their portfolio, right? And portfolio team, like those are all kind of interchangeable, but really when we say portfolio, it's like a specific slice of a product line. Um, so in my current role, I oversee the operations execution product line under Zenput. Um, but within that, we have smaller portfolios. So I have one team that focuses specifically on processes and activities. Um, and then I have another team that focuses on a lot of kind of backend enablement, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, and I have another team that works on self-service reporting. Uh, we have another team that works on temperature monitoring and labels. Um, so it's kind of broken up sort of like subgroups within this large your product line, right? So the day-to-day -day will also vary depending on the space. Okay. How many projects are you managing or how many teams are you managing right now? See, right now my team 
I have three um, PMs, two senior PMs um, and one mid-level PM. Um, and in terms of what we're working on at any given time, you know, uh, it really depends quarter to quarter. So right now we are focused on, let's see, I guess it's uh, about, I think it's five teams, right? Let me see. I have to, I have to count it. My role has changed a lot at this this company uh, in the past few months. We've gone through some acquisitions and things like that. So So it's changed a lot. But basically I've got, Processing activities, self-service reporting, enablement. We've got uh, food prep, which is like temperature or labels and stuff like that, and then temperature monitoring. Um, so I think it's technically five teams total. Each team at any given time is usually working on two to five initiatives in, in a given quarter. Um, so you know, depending on the quarter, it could be anywhere between ten to twenty initiatives um, of varying size and complexity. So you know, again, I don't work on those directly, right? Like I sit across those things. And so I'm responsible for making all those pieces kind of operate together. Um, I focus a lot too on organization level things like how we work, right? How do we develop our products? What are the processes we leverage? Um, you know, how are we engaging with customers? How do we build our strategy? And then how do we execute? So again, it's sort of keeping that high level rolling so that my teams and my directs can really keep moving forward, right? <clears throat> Makes sense. So. Coming back to the first question that I asked, um, mm -hmm. how did you transition from program manager to product manager? How easy or how difficult was it to transition into somewhat a different field? Yeah, oh, I've been thinking about these questions, by the way. The, I have a I've kind of an atypical journey, right? So I mean, my degree is in political science. You know, I, I have no CS degree. Um, I didn't go through any formal. I don't have an MBA. So I've, I've learned the job on the job, right? Um, so my, my journey is a little different, I think, than some folks, right? Um, not everybody, I'm sure other people go through that. But as a result, like my my background is very storied. <laughs> uh, and there's been a lot of things that have come up over the years. But to, I guess, to try to answer that, um, the transition really wasn't that difficult because I was sitting in kind of a hybrid role. So when I made my entry into Amazon, it was 2014. So that was you know, right before the explosion of Amazon, truly. Um, I think stock price was like $280 a share when I started there. And, you know, I mean, now it's split, so whatever. But, you know, I think when I left, it was like 2,600 a share. And that's five years. So so to give you a sense of growth, it was just insane during that period of time. Yeah, wild. Um, but because of the role I sat in, I developed skills, or at least a foundation of skills in each of those functions, right? So, uh, specifically, I'll, I'll give some details. So I worked on a product called X-Ray for four of the five years while I was at Prime Video. Um, and if you've ever watched movies or TV shows through Prime Video, it's that awesome overlay that you get that tells you what actors are on screen, what music's playing, right? That's that's X-Ray. And so during that time, right, I had a team. Uh, it was a mix. I had some program managers on the team that reported to me. I had some operators um, on the operational side, they were actually watching movies and TV shows and manually placing metadata at time points. So they would watch it and be like, all right, at five minutes, that's, you know, Tom Cruise. And at, you know, 10 minutes, this is the song by Queen, right? And like, so, so they would physically watch it and identify what was happening and then tag it with data from IMDb. And that was 2014. By the time I left and moved to a different uh, team at Prime Video about four years in, um, a lot of that stuff was starting to be automated. But while I was overseeing that part of the team, it gave me exposure to how operations worked, capacity planning, hiring, firing, developing, you know, all the pieces that come with people management. And so it gave you kind of a taste of that. 
Um, then program management wise, I was always running one to three programmatic focused initiatives. So like projects that turned into something bigger. So for example, one thing that I had worked on with the team uh, was identifying end credits, right? So at that time, you watch Netflix or whatever, or Prime Video today, you get to an end of an episode and it skips to the next one, right? That did not exist uh, beyond Netflix when I worked at Prime Video, right? So one of the things we worked on was like, how do we identify when end credits start? And we can use that time point to trigger the skip, right? And so that was a, a, a focus. And then as we actually identified how we do that, how we use that data, then essentially it sort of transitioned from a project to there's an ongoing focus. And I think that's the difference in my mind between project and program manager, right? As a project manager really goes from project to project, there might be continuity, there might not, right? They might be jumping into one thing, something completely different in six months. Program managers, they manage projects, but within a typical like programmatic space. So, you know, X-Ray had a couple of programs under it. One was operational, you know, efficiency. Another program is you know, third-party data, right? At the time we were using IMDB data only. So how do we get other data to be able to tag those time points, right? So those are all kind of the focuses. And so that gave me exposure on the program kind of project management side, right? Then on the product management side, right? A couple of those things spun into, how do we turn this into something consumers can actually use, right? So something I worked on with the team, more product focused towards the end there was, Know, really building out, I mentioned this third-party data. So we were actually working with some studios to to get their bonus material. So like, give us your behind-the-scenes photos, videos. Um, you know, give us you know scene captions, like all the kind of fun stuff. So <clears throat> I had to figure out how do we actually ingest that data? What data do we need? And then the product management side of it was now that once we get that data, how do we take that and surface it to create an actual user experience? Like what are the features, the capabilities? How do they consume that data, right? So give me a taste of that. And so I had kind of a mix of all these three kind of areas. And so when the time was there to leave Amazon and try something new, I had a choice. And I really liked product management because it was really focused on problem solving. And it had so much more direct interaction with customers, right? You were the face, you were collecting the requirements, you were going and putting something, a prototype or whatever in front of a customer, collecting that feedback. So it's that real kind of meaty, like interaction and like solving problems. And again, exactly. program project. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like program project does it too. It's just a different kind of version of that, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. So just trying to connect the dots, both the companies that you work for actually between mm -hmm. Amazon and even Zenput, you had one more company that you worked for. Again, different companies. How were mm -hmm. you able to try so it's basically different in each industry, like product management, how it works. Yeah. I've worked in two different industries till now, and it's completely different. How were you able to adapt to those companies within product management? So that's an interesting take. So I'd actually challenge that, right? I think the the fundamentals are actually the same. I think what what I've experienced and what what perhaps that you've kind of gone through, right, is like the ways in which we work and the ways in which products are developed are different organizations organization, right? But the, the fundamentals of product management, if, if you were to oversimplify, right? At the end of the day, like I mentioned, like professional problem solvers, right? Product management, you identify pain or problem. You run some discovery on that to understand the ins and outs of that problem. What workarounds exist? What, you know, what are we doing about this problem? What's the downstream impact, et cetera, 
right? Once you have an idea of the problem, then you're basically validating solutions, right? So then the way you validate might look different. So one company, you might use disposable prototypes in Figma and, and use that as a way to drive kind of getting feedback, right? Another company, you might, you know, do something in a sandbox environment and say, hey, go poke around in it. Here's your own environment to play with. Um, so, so the how is a little different, right? But the fundamentals are still the same, right? Like no matter what industry I've been in or what company I've been at, right? It's, it's always been about identify the problem, learn deeply the ins and outs of the problem, figure out a set of options for how to solve that problem, test them, release the best bet, and then measure it and then come back to it and make it better, right? So it's that continuous sort of cycle. And I ascribe very much to lean product development as a, as a methodology. Not every company does. Everybody operates a little different. Most of the companies I've been at follow pretty closely kind of agile structure. So, you know, typical team structure has been, you've got a product manager, an engineering manager, and a designer. And then you've got a team of engineers uh, at usually slightly bigger, better funded organizations. They'll typically have a business analyst or data analyst embedded, uh, or at least to support the team. Uh, you might also like an Amazon or somewhere scaled have a program or project manager or TPM that sits in that group as well. Um, so the structure and, and all that has been fairly similar. Um, but again, the, the how has looked a little different, right? Um, in some places I've been like much better, like at Amazon, it was almost exclusively quantitative feedback collection, right? Because everything's at scale. You launch a product that touches a million plus customers, you get statistical significance in that, you know, you do it at a small startup, it, it could take months, right? Like previous role, I would run a test for two months and still not hit statistical significance just based on volume, right? Um, so I'd say like, it really depends, but the fundamentals still hold true. At the end of the day, like frameworks, processes, all that stuff, helpful tools, but they're just that, they're tools. At the end of the day, like you can get product management done without all the fancy tools. Now, those are great to have because you can do it better <laughs> and you can learn new ways, but it's it's not critical. I mean, really... I've seen a lot of folks who have a lot of formal training come into product management and fail. And the reality is, is they lean too hard on those things. They don't actually sit and think, how do I solve this, right? With what I have in front of me, I'm trying to apply frameworks and maybe you don't need a framework sometimes, but maybe not, right? Makes sense. Um, so what are some aspects, like if someone who is entering, basically who is in the field since a while, like project management and wants to transition into product management, what aspects would you like to tell them that these are there and you need to keep that in mind before coming? So let me restate that back, make sure I'm, I'm following. So you're asking sort of what would be some advice for folks transitioning to product management, some maybe gotchas or things to be aware of. Is that is that about kind of what you're angling at or? Okay. Yeah, I mean, look, I, it is, I'll just be honest. It's not for everybody. It's a lot. <laughs> uh, I run at about a hundred miles an hour all the time. That's just me and my brain. <laughs> Uh, so something like product management is great for, for me because I'm never bored. I'm continually running hundred miles an hour. My brain has something to do, you know? Um, but that's a lot. Like I've, I, I know a lot of folks who've entered the industry and have exited or have entered product management and gone off to do something else within the industry. Um, cause it's a lot. You, you literally are continuously intaking feedback and rearranging priorities. And, you know, ultimately you, you're often shipping things that are not optimal, right? <laughs> You're shipping viable things, but you know they're not perfect, or maybe they're painful for a customer, but they still solve the problem. And so that's a, that's a lot. I think that was a hard adjustment for me. Is like things if you're good at product management, it's because you're 
a variety of reasons, but one of the reasons is because you're okay understanding when good is good enough. And I think that's a really hard thing for people to wrap their head around. I still struggle with it at times, right? I'm like, I know this experience is going to be rough for a customer, but it solves the problem. It allows them to get that job to be done completed. And that's what matters at the end of the day. Sure, could it be fancier? Could it be easier to do that, more efficient? Absolutely. But that's where iteration comes in, right? It's like ship the initial value as quickly as you can. Once you've got that value out there, measure said value, and then use those measures to understand where your best opportunities to iterate are. Because that's that's the gold at the end of the day. It's not shipping the MVPs. That's what gets you started. The gold is getting the value out quickly and then enhancing that value over time as you learn through real customer feedback. I like that. Okay. Uh, so if someone is entering pretty new, they don't know anything about sure. product management. And again, there's a hype right now. Okay. Product management is a really good <laughs> So For sure. um, what are some of the things that they should know? Like what qualities they should have, uh, which would tell them, okay, I could be a good product manager. I should try this field. Yeah. Um, patience. <laughs> That's a big one. <laughs> Patience, patience, patience. Uh, you deal with frustrating customers. You deal with internal stakeholders that can be challenging. Um, it takes a lot of patience. And if you're not somebody who can sit there sometimes and take a beating, <laughs> uh, that's a that's a big one. Um, so I think patience is one. I think um, I think humility is a key piece as well, right? Um, I have failed on more things than I have been successful on. Let me say that again, I've failed at more things than I've been successful on in this career, over 10 years of doing this. And the reality is, is if you're moving fast and you're using real customer feedback to inform the solutions you build, you will fail inevitably, right? Because speed to delivering the value is what's more, most important. And there's going to be times where you get it wrong and that's okay, right? You want to find an organization that welcomes that because at the end of the day, having the psychological safety to know you can fail but know that's okay and that it's an opportunity to learn from versus a red flag or like a mark against you or something. That's it. That's a huge piece, right? So humility and understanding like you're not going to build that perfect thing. I, I didn't finish the to-do list in over five years. <laughs> that's right. Like you got to be humble. You got to be like, yo, I'm not going to get through all this and that's okay. That's fine. That's a tomorrow problem. Or maybe that's a six month from now, or maybe I'll never have to deal with that as long as you're continually prioritizing. Right. I think that's another one. Um, I'd also say an ability to influence without authority. Um, now, obviously a little different now in a director role, like I have authority in certain ways and I put air quotes around it because all of that to me is a little silly, um, you know, positional authority and all that stuff. But, but, you know, it matters to some extent to certain people, right? But I think regardless of your role, whether you're just starting out as an associate product manager or you're, you know, some chief product officer, the reality is, is if you don't have an ability to influence others and bring them along on your journey, you're never going to be able to ship value to your customers, right? You have to tell the story. You got to gotta be able to get buy-in, right? Like, could I just go try to build things? Sure. But guess what? I don't write code. <laughs> so if I don't have buy-in from my engineers, that code's not going to get written, right? If I don't have buy-in from my designers, it's, it's going to look like garbage because they're not going to want to touch it, right? Marketing doesn't want to talk about it if they're not on board. So I think that's a piece is like influencing others without authority. The authority piece makes it easier to some extent, right? Because you have positional authority or otherwise, but it's, it's, that's actually not the goal. The goal is being able to bring people along on your journey without being, hey, I'm your boss. You have to do it, right? Like it's much harder. <laughs> um, 
I think that's a big one. The last one I'll add actually too is um, data mindedness, right? Now, to be clear, I think when we talk about data, quantitative measurement is what comes to most people's mind. And yes, that's super important. And you can't develop good products without great quantitative views of the things you're building uh, or that you've built. But qualitative feedback and, and data is can be equally, if not more important at times. So somebody who can understand a set of problems, look at a set of solutions, push forward, and then measure those things through quantitative and qualitative means, those are the folks who can unlock additional value. And those are the folks that tend to be most successful, right? Because they think about things and they're, they're already, before I even built it, how would I know this works? How would I know to roll this back? How would I know which things to make better about this solution that I've just launched, right? Like, so that's, a, I think, another big one. So probably my top four, I would say. Okay. So again, the last point that you mentioned, um, I would like to ask the next question is similar to that. If you interview any new product managers, what do you look for in a product manager? Like you have to see it within the resume and then while you're interviewing with both of the scenarios, how do you see, okay, this could be a good candidate because most of the times for product managers, we're looking for a soft skill rather than, you know, any technical skill. Yeah, that's fair. Um, you know, I, I'd say I've been fortunate in a lot of the organizations I've been in have a phenomenal recruiting team. So, you know, hats off to those folks who bust their butts every day and, you know, do an amazing job bringing great candidates in. Um, so I, I'd say my work is is made easier by having great recruiting teams. <laughs> so a lot of that initial step, I don't tend to have to deal with as much, right? They're kind of pre-vetting resumes. But before we even get to that, usually I like to have, you know, like a, a kickoff or kind of like a pre you know, pre-loop, there's a couple names for it. But the idea being is like, let's sit down with our recruiting partners if we have them uh, and any key stakeholders. So minimum product or uh, engineering design usually participate in product interviews because P, D, and E, that's your trifecta. We call them at Zenput our amigos. Um, there's a couple of different, you know, versions out there. Um, so I'll set in that pre-brief though, we'll basically set kind of, here's what we're looking for. And the things that I tend to, to talk about in there, right? Um, I am not somebody, especially with my background, like, you know, political science degree from a small liberal arts school. Like, I don't have the formal CS degree and all these things that people think you need because you don't need it, right? But what I look for instead, instead of pedigree and like crazy experience, all that, like, I actually want to look for a couple things. Again, I look for data mindedness. So an easy tell, even at a resume stage is like, do you just list things you did? Or do you talk about the things that you've delivered and the results that drove? Right. Like that's an easy kind of one to cut, frankly, a lot of people out of the running typically. Um, so that's one uh, soft skill wise, the influence that authority piece comes comes through. And what's difficult about that is you can't really get a read on that. So you've got somebody in for an interview. So I'll typically probe for that even at an informational or like an early stage. And, uh, you know, I'll poke around a little bit, see like, how do you interact with people, right? How do you tell the story of the work that needs to be done and, and why we're doing it? What's the context? Um, so I'll probe for that. Um, what are some other things I typically look for? Um, I would also say like a, uh, a willingness to be scrappy uh, and or like a team player. And that sounds kind of cheesy, <laughs> but the, the reality is like the scrappiness piece comes into play. Like, again, are you willing and able to build something that's good enough, right? And understand how to measure it and know what you need to come back to. Um, the team player piece kind of ties in with influencing that authority, right? Like, do you be, are you able to bring people along with you? But I also think like, are you willing to roll up your sleeves, right? So I look for people, regardless of your title, 
you know, what are some things you've dove into, right? Like when was the last time you wrote a PRD, you know, when was the last time that you did a customer interview? Um, so I think that ability to roll sleeves up. Um, and then what's the other, what's another big one? I feel like I'm missing one. Um, I'd say those are the big ones, I guess. Um, trying to think anything else. Yeah, I'd say those are the big ones. There's definitely more, but I feel like I'm not able to articulate as well. Those are the big ones that come to mind. Sounds good. So those are some of the, again, those were soft skills. Do you specifically look yeah. for like technical skills in a product manager? So that's a tough one. It, it, it's really dependent on the product space that the, the hire is for, right? So for example, uh, on like enablement teams, right? If I'm hiring somebody who's really mo mostly working on like backend, that kind of stuff, I tend to look for folks who have a little bit more technical experience. I don't need a product manager to code, like just to be clear. So if folks are listening to this and are like, man, I should go get my CS degree. I should learn how to write code. Don't do it. <laughs> One, crazy amount of work. Two, it's not your job. At the end of the day, if you're, I've seen a couple of product managers in my experience who have more of a coding background and the problem there becomes, you know, a little too much, right? And you don't lean on your partners on the engineering side of the house as well. Um, and you often get pigeonholed doing things you don't want to do because people find out, oh, you can write Python. Awesome. You should just write a script. We don't need to build a feature. You just write a script. So it's a little dangerous, right? Double-edged sword. <laughs> um, so I don't, I don't look for product managers that can code. Um, what I do look for, especially at the senior product manager bar, right? Less so at like more of the entry kind of associate PM to like PM level, um, less so there, more so at the senior PM level for tech more technical space. Um, I want to understand how well you gr grasp technical infrastructure, or sorry, technical architecture rather. So for example, I spend plenty of time uh, reading documents, giving feedback, that sort of thing. If an engineer sits down and writes out code, couldn't tell you what's going on, right? But pretty great at stick and box diagrams, right? Like, let's throw this up on a whiteboard. Show me how the data flows here, right? How does the API response and call work within the context of this architecture that we've set up, right? Um, we often uh, drive optionality. So effective PMs, when it comes to engaging with engineers um, and, and frankly design as well, um, the best ones, in my opinion, are those that understand and prioritize optionality, right? So my favorite analogy, right, is like, I need a car. The problem we need to solve is, you know, get me wheels so I can go where I want, when I want, right? Well, you could go build the Rolls Royce. Sure, it's gonna be fancy, it's gonna be beautiful, awesome, super comfortable, it's gonna meet all your needs and then some, probably a bunch of bells and whistles you don't even need to that point, right? You could also go build the, you know, Toyota Corolla or whatever, right? Like the, you know, basic, whatever off the line model, right? Or somewhere in between. And so when we talk about optionality, what I want to know is how well can a PM drive with their engineering and design counterparts optionality for the solution they build with consideration to how feasible is it? How much is it going to cost? How long will it take to develop, et cetera? Uh, and then ultimately, I want them to be able to drive a, a, we'll call it consent versus consensus. And that's a really important distinction, right? I think a lot of organizations struggle. They focus on consensus, which is get everybody all on the same page. So everybody's agreed before we move forward. Huge time waster. And you will never deliver the value you want for your customers in the time they want to see it. So instead, focus on consent, right? 
do I have enough buy-in here to move forward? Knowing that there's some folks who still disagree with this. That's okay, right? And that's where this concept you've probably heard, like Amazon even has a principle about it called disagree and commit, right? Well, that that is a fundamental skill. There are times where I'm like, you know what? I'm still not sold on this. I, st I still think my opinion is, you know, X, but I see the value. I see why we would do it this way. So let's go for it. I, I'm bought in. And while I may not, this wasn't my first choice, we've made a decision as a team. So I'm all in. We're going to go forward with it. We'll measure the hell out of it. <laughs> we'll make sure we're monitoring it and we'll look for iteration. But like, let's let's go for it. So I think tying all this back, right? Optionality is a really big piece. Like how well can you ask and drive discussion between your, your peers and stakeholders to be able to say, here for this particular problem, here's the Rolls Royce, here's the Toyota Corolla, here's maybe the in-between, you know, maybe the, uh, the Acura or whatever. Um, but I think that's another piece is like, how well can you facilitate that partnership and really lead to the right outcomes through optionality? Makes sense. Some really good points. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. um, the next question I wanted to ask was, so someone who is graduating very soon and wants to enter the field, uh, yeah. what advice would you have for them just to start out? Because everyone has like different paths getting into product management. Yeah. Some like you have a different path. I got into product management with internship. Everyone has like different ways. Mm -hmm. What would you recommend them? Like what's your um, advice to them? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, let me think about it a sec. I, I've been sort of steering on this one. Um, look, I, I I will be the first to tell you that um, I, I don't know many people these days in this industry who get into the industry by cold applying. I just, I don't, it doesn't really happen. I think maybe internships is the exception to that, right? Like, because everybody's cold applying, yes. <laughs> right? Like, it's an equal playing field in that regard. Um so I think, you know, I think network and I, oh, this is such a gross thing, right? Everybody's like, oh, network, not like it's such a buzzword. But what I mean by that really is building connection with people that you find interesting or inspiring or, um, you know, who have gone through paths like yours, right? Um, now, I had a unique path in that I, I actually was recruited. So I had worked at Apple for several years before going to Amazon and uh, while I was working in the Apple store, actually, was how I got recruited to Amazon. I was working at the Genius Bar. That's where I built some of my technical chops was behind the Genius Bar, right? Repairing devices, troubleshooting software. That's how I understood, you know, triage. That's how I understood, you know, how do you go down a logic tree to, you know, really solve a problem? Um, so I was fortunate that I was recruited out of that into Amazon. So some of it is also just if you put in the right work with the right, you know, lens to it. I wasn't looking to like leave Apple or go to Amazon specifically. What I was doing was I was showing up every day and wanted to just kick butt and do a great job at my job at Apple. And, you know, that's one of those things you put in the hard work and eventually you'll find that connection. Now, I think that's getting harder. Let me just be clear. That was 20 when I left Apple it would have been 20. 14, early 2014 went to Amazon. So it's very different world. Yeah. Long time, right? Like it's, it, I mean, things have changed a lot in even the last five years, much less, you know, the last almost 10. Right. And so, you know, I think I was very fortunate in that. So in this day and age, uh, I'm a little out of touch, to be honest, of like the challenges because I've been in it for so long. Um, but I think building connection is really important. Um, and then I also think, um, how do I put it? Like, <clears throat> 
building where you can a portfolio where you can speak to how you do some of these things. So um, I think in many ways, right, like product manager, like talk about is it's really professional problem solving. So are you doing case studies? Are you, um, you know, are you solving other kinds of problems, right? Like when I was behind the genius bar, I wasn't building new products or features, right? But I was solving problems and I had to identify what's the key pain point. What are the requirements of solving this pain point? What are the parameters of this? You know, in other words, what's my scope, <laughs> right? So, so a lot of those skills are transferable. So I think I would encourage people to look for exposure and experience in less commonly sought after places. Okay. Um, and I feel like that's a weird uh, <laughs> advice to give, but I think, you know, I think there's this, my perception is that there's this, view of product management, especially technical product management, where it's like, you have to be technical and you have to understand all of this stuff. But it's like, at the end of the day, you don't really, you just need to be able to solve problems and rally people around them. That's really what it boils down to. <laughs> um, so I hope that it's not the best advice. I'm a little out of touch, to be honest on that. Um, but you know, those are some things I've seen. Uh, and then I think the last thing I'll add is like this approach you've taken with this series. It's super cool, right? Like it's very unique. And I think one of the things that stand, stood out to me when you reached out was just the the win-win-win nature of this engagement, right? You reach out to me, we get time together, you get a chance to learn about what it's like to be a product manager. I get a chance to share my journey, which I always love doing because I think it helps people see that there's other paths, right? And at the end of the day, you know, I hope others who watch this get something out of it, right? So you basically product managed me in the sense of you identified an opportunity, it wasn't a pain point per se, but you identified a need. You said, here's the problem I'm looking to solve both for me, but also for Ian, right? You found a way to say, here's a win, win, win approach, right? So I think uh, more and more like creative solutions like this, creative entry points are phenomenal, right? Um, and so like series, podcasts, presentations, like those are all great ways to get your kind of foot in the door with folks. Um, and I think more and more is gonna have to happen. It's become such a crowded field that, you know, I get helped by plenty of folks, um, but I chose to engage with you because of the way you manage this, right? And the way that you identify those win-win-wins. So I think that that alone, great example, what you're doing right here is an awesome way to break in and it's super unique. I haven't had anybody approach me in this type of way. Thank you. Um, so I, when you <laughs> yeah. the portfolio, um, that brings, uh, that brought something to my mind. So I have seen a mm -hmm. lot of, you know, new product managers coming into the field, uh, what they are doing is they are trying to build their own product and they're trying to show this as like a portfolio, more like an internship thing. If they're not able to land an internship, they're showing this sure. as a thing and then they're trying to land jobs with that. So I, I really like the idea. Of um, just last two questions. Um, yeah. How did you grow like once you are in the field? Now, how mm -hmm. do you grow as a product manager with time? Yeah, that's a great question. So look, I, I will say one of the best parts about starting for this product journey at a place like Amazon or a place like Apple, it's highly structured. So there is very clear expectations that have to be met uh, to be able to say you're operating at a certain level. But it also means there's very clear expectations around what you need to demonstrate skill-wise to reach the next level. So that is one real benefit of working at a larger uh, scaled organization is it tends to have more rigor and structure and process. 
And that's, that's great. Cause once you figure out, so like at Amazon, they, they have a career matrix for each job function. So they have levels there, right? So you've got a level four, five, six, so on, right? A level six would be like a senior product manager. A level four would be like an associate product manager, right? Um, that, that varies a bit, but just generally, right? For the purpose of this, this excuse me, this example. And so with that, in that matrix, it outlines very clearly for you to be at a level four associate product manager. Here are the skills and evidence you need to demonstrate to be able to say you're meeting expectations at that level. But then here's to be able to say you're meeting at the next level for PM, right? Or, or senior PM, two levels up. So that, that's one benefit I'd say is like finding a place with structure. Now to be clear, it's not only big organizations. Zenput, we have a career matrix as well. So I, with my team, we look at this career matrix and we say, based on the evidence you've demonstrated in your current role, in other words, the results you've delivered, the products you've built, the features you've shipped, et cetera, et cetera, how are you performing against this career matrix? So it doesn't have to be a big org. It's just higher propensity to have that structure at a bigger organization. But I'd say that's one crisp way to like grow because it's codified. You can literally, it's, it, I hate to say, but like in some ways it's kind of a checklist. It's like, here are the things you got to do. If you're not doing them, go do them, right? That's one way. Now, um, as I've been at other places, um, and so, you know, it was, for me, it was Apple to Amazon. And then after Amazon went to Leafly and then from Leafly to RealSelf, now RealSelf to Zenput. Both Leafly and RealSelf, about 130 employees at the time I was there. Um, Leafly is now public. And so a lot has changed, but, you know, th those organizations, um, they had some structure. It looked a little different and all that, um, but it was a little fuzzier, right? Um, and so my advice to folks who maybe aren't in a position uh, or perhaps at a company that has that rigor and structure, a way to continuously be growing is through continuous learning. So I subscribe to several newsletters. Uh, you know, I have a couple favorites. Um, I, you know, listen to some podcasts I love. Uh, I, let's see, I attend, you know, one or two summits usually a year. Um, like product plan has a great one that I like. The product excellence summit was great. Um, that one just happened not too long ago. So, you know, I look for continuous learning opportunities, but again, as I mentioned earlier, like those are all tools, frameworks, you know, approaches, methodologies, all of that, that can help supplement, but it's never a replacement for just doing the work and learning through doing the work. Right. It's, it's a supplement. Um, so I'd say like a way to keep growing and learning is, is really, truly, buying into the growth mindset and constantly pushing yourself to get outside of your comfort zone. And all of that sounds so freaking cheesy, but it, it's true, right? Like I'm new to a director position. Like this is a new function for me. I've kind of done some of the, the director level product management work in the past, filling in for bosses or, you know, things like that, but I've never actually held the position until now. Right. And so I'm, I'm in the, um, I forget what it, I forget what it's based off. But if you if you've seen the, the visual where it's like uh, I get the name for it, but it's 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 basically it shows like a learning curve, right? So the idea is like when we learn something, right? You kind of follow this trajectory, right? And then you sort of plateau out, right? And then as you kind of plateau, you maybe get a little incremental improvement, right? But if you've ever seen the comparative graphic where it's like you see that you get that plateau, people with a growth mindset, right? this trough because you take on something new or you stretch your scope or, you know, you're like, Hey, I want to get more technical. So I want to actually drive a technical project versus a, like a feature, you know, or, or new product. Right. 
And so then you get this trough because you're pushing yourself to do things that you don't know how to do or you're not very good at yet. But then you come out of that trough all the time and then where you level out is significantly higher up, you know, on the visual than you would have otherwise been. And so it's this idea of like, keep giving yourself trough opportunities where you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing or I'm in over my head. And if you have that feeling, it means you're pushing yourself, right? So I think that's a big one too, is just that continuous growth mindset and use your resources. Content is king these days, right? Tons of voices out there that know product management very well. <laughs> so follow them, right? Use that and take it in, but make your own version of it. And, you know, I'd say like the way I build products is a mix of like, like five or six different methodologies. Leans towards, you know, lean product development, but has some typical agile practices mixed in. Some of that has been kind of homegrown, you know, so make your own brand of it, right? You don't have to follow one track. It's it's a set of tools to help build something and get better and improve yourself over time. Love, love that advice. Um, <laughs> last thing, um, for instance, product managers, it's like a very competitive field to get in. So people are trying really hard to get in their networking and all that stuff. What mm -hmm. advice would you have for them just to keep going um, and try <laughs> to get uh, get in their foot? Because a lot of people try getting into product management through different fields and maybe, you know, internally switch it. And again, uh, as we talked about mm -hmm. it, like different ways to get into product management. What advice would you have for everyone out there? Ooh, well, first of all, just keep your head up. It's just a, it's a tough market right now. Um, you know, based on my age, right? Like, I went through the, we had the 2008 recession and then we've had, you know, COVID. And so like, we've had a lot of ups and downs. It's a particularly tough time. So, you know, keep your head up. Everybody's struggling. You know, I, I have some friends and, and folks in my network who, who are some of the strongest minds out there in their fields and product and engineering and design, and, and they're getting laid off. So like literally the best of the best are still not making it through some of the cuts that are happening. So don't get discouraged. Like I'd say, first and foremost, it's a really hard environment right now. And macroeconomic situation, not great. So, you know, persevere and it's going to be tough, but like create space to give yourself some, some breaks, you know, do something that brings you joy. You're going to, you know, spend four hours hammering out some, you know, applications or whatever. Great. Take a matching hour to go meditate or go for a run or do something that, you know, makes you happy. <laughs> um, so balance, right. Uh, I think that's a big one. The other thing too is, um, be open to non-traditional paths into product management, right? Like I imagine it would have been a lot harder for me to get into product management if I would have just said, I want to go do product management and try to break in, right? A lot of folks I've seen be successful in the long run in product management as a field actually came in through different functions, right? So if there's a space you're passionate about, you know, a business you're interested in, uh, a company you admire, a culture you want to be a part of. Those are all great reasons to go join a company, but be open to, you know what, maybe I can't come in as a product manager, right? Maybe I can come in as a project or a program manager and get my experience, right? And then build some chops and then make the case to, to move internally. Um, another one I see that's really common actually is people coming through support roles. So customer support, customer success. Now that's that's a harder one to break back out of to be clear. Um, but just as an example, you know, we, as part of our, part of Zenput's uh, merger and acquisition activities that happened earlier this summer, uh, one of the companies we've combined with is crunch time. So Zenput is technically a crunch time company now. Um, and there's a couple of folks on the product team on the crunch time 
side of things that's joined uh, and they came in through support. You know, they, they literally started out at crunch time, you know, handling customer success and customer support and then built some of the skills and, you know, would ask to shadow and, Hey, I know it's not my job, but um, you know, I'd love to connect you with this customer and listen in on how you collect requirements. Right. So the, the cool thing is those frontline positions like support, like success and sales is a, a frontline position, but it's such a different world. I, I, you know, I don't necessarily encourage that path. It's probably doable, but I imagine it's more challenging. Um, but, you know, something like supporter success, I work really closely with, right? So just since the beginning of uh, Q4, which would have been what, start of October, I've met with like 20 unique customers in our portfolio, all of which have been in partnership with our customer success manager team. So I get on the horn, talk to customer with the CSM, so they literally see me in action. They see me asking the questions. They see how I'm collecting feedback. They see how I'm, you know, asking for requirements. And so they get a firsthand look and shadowing really of product management 101. Um, so I think that's also something that gets overlooked is like you can get exposure through non-traditional ways and then move around internally as you build the skills. Right. Okay. That's a really good one. Thank you. Um, yeah. Again, thank you so, so much. It was very descriptive. Um, I'm sure it would help so many people out there. It really helped me. So thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. And, um, you know, I, I mentioned to you earlier, uh, happy to stay in touch to you, right? I'm, I'm really, I do my best to be a resource to folks out there. Um, you know, I try to help where I can with everything from resume reviews to, you know, interviews to connecting in my network. Um, you know, I really want to help others. I had a non-traditional path to get into product management. So whenever I can help enable others to break in, um, especially folks who are underrepresented, right? I recognize being a white, you know, cis male in this world is a lot easier for me. And so I view that as an opportunity for me to leverage that position of, of power and authority to help others break in who may not have that same opportunity. So, you know, I would say, let me know. Uh, happy to be a resource. And there are folks watching this and they want to bounce some ideas around, whatever. Feel free to reach out. I'm on LinkedIn, pretty active on there. So um, yeah, happy to, happy to spend the time. Um, it's been a pleasure. That's so nice of you. Thank you again. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. And stay in touch. Uh, and I wish you the best of luck. I know, I think you're finishing school this year. Is that right? You're wrapping up? June of 2023. <laughs> All right, so I'll be uh, I'll be on the lookout. So you'll be entering that job market in like no time. Um, so keep me posted. I really do wish the best for you, and um, I'll be obviously literally. I'm right by University of Washington, so you know you'll hear me cheering from across the pond <laughs> uh, and rooting for y'all. But um, yeah, please do stay in touch. And you know, for for those of you, for those of the folks that that are watching, you know, I wish everybody the best of luck. And you know, I really hope to see more of you uh, continue to break in. It's, it's a fun space. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.